privilege of opening up the scriptures with you all this morning. We're continuing in our series in the book of Colossians. My son hears my voice uh, over the speakers and he's like, wait, that's my dad. Uh, Colossians chapter two, and we're continuing our series. And I want to encourage you um, the, this sermon kind of is, is uh, connected to the previous week's sermon. And so if you haven't checked that out or you weren't here with us last week, I want to encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that. It'll give you some context for what I'm going to be talking about today. And yet I'm going to do my best to, give, I'm going to, do my best to try to give you uh, kind of the, the backdrop of where we've come from in Colossians chapter 2 and what we're in right now. And so if you would, do me a favor and turn to Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to read into your hearing verses 20 through verse 23. Verses 20 through 23. And when you've got it, would you do me a favor and shout, I got it. As you've got it, if you would, please rest on your feet as we read the scripture together, if you're able. It reads this way. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value. Everybody say no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The very words of scripture, amen? You may be seated. In Acts chapter 10, we're introduced to sort of the institution and inauguration of the church. And uh, the book of Acts is a storyline of the expansion of the movement of Christianity and what the Holy Spirit did in and through the apostles and the early church. And so what you see in the book of Acts is the gospel spread from Acts chapter 1. And, and the scripture says that you will be my witnesses, Jesus speaking to his disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so by the time you get to Acts chapter 10, now the apostle Peter's ministry that is going to Judea and Samaria, he's extended outside of Jerusalem and, and he is ministering to people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has just... Uh, he has just uh, shared the gospel with Cornelius, a uh, Roman centurion, a uh, Roman guard, um, and he responded to faith in Jesus and his entire family. And now he's on his way traveling, sharing the gospel. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 that he begins to get tired. And so they spend some time resting and he goes up on the roof of a house uh, in order to rest and to pray. And the Bible says that he gets hungry. And uh, tells down to the people who are in, uh, in the house, they, they begin to prepare a meal for him. And the Bible says that while they were preparing that meal, he receives a vision from heaven where there is, uh, there is a sheet that comes down with all of these four-hoofed animals. And it, it comes down and, and the voice from heaven says, Peter, kill and eat. Kill and eat. And, and Peter says in, in response, no, Lord, I've, I've never eaten anything that is impure, and I've never put anything into my body that is not clean. Uh, and the voice from heaven responds to Peter and says, don't call what God calls clean, unclean. 
Now, the thing that the Apostle Peter is now realizing in the summarization of this particular vision is that the gospel message of Jesus is not just for people who are Jewish. It is for everybody. But at the same time, you see the fulfillment of what all of the Old Testament laws had led to was what we talked about last week, the shadow of things to come. And the reality is the person and work of Jesus. And now on this side of Jesus, things that God called unclean previously are now called clean. And we looked at last week a couple of uh, the reasons why God had specific laws and specific things for what to eat and not to eat. Uh, and in particular, it was in response to the worship of these gods that they had worshiped in Egypt. And so the people in the surrounding areas had a polytheistic society where they worshiped multiple gods. Uh, and the laws that God gave to the Jewish people was a means to say that the God who freed them from Egypt is their God. And he is there and, and they are his. Uh, and so it was to show off that this, this is who my people are, right? And, and so on this side of Jesus entering into humanity, God says uh, those things were a means to show your devotion to the one and true God. But on this side of, uh, of Jesus coming, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Now, some of you said, uh, you, you, some of you said, you said, uh, you know what? I'm a Christian, so I don't eat pork, right? I don't, I don't eat pork. And, and I, want, I want to declare to you, Pastor Derek, I want to declare to the entire congregation uh, that, that the Lord says, don't call unclean what he is called clean. Uh, it, it's, in other words, in other words, it's okay for you to get a Traeger. And smoke and smoke you some ribs. It's 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 okay for you to get the green egg together and uh, and get you a pork butt and 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 then uh, and then uh, make uh, pulled pork sandwiches, right? Um, I'm I'm getting ready for lunch, Liz. I hope I hope you I hope you got us together. And so, in essence, Jesus actually uh, clarifies what he means by this by calling certain things clean and unclean in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. Jesus speaking, he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Uh, in other words, it's a matter of, of the heart. It's not uh, a matter of what you do and don't do, uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It's, it's a matter of the heart. It's from within the heart that evil things come out, right? And, and so in essence, what the Apostle Paul is articulating in our passage is exactly that, that there are certain things uh, that we as human beings try to do in order to earn favor with God. Uh, and in essence, uh, what the Apostle Paul is articulating is that, there, is that there are some forms of religion that are worldly, there, there are some forms of checking the boxes and, and, and doing the right things and, uh, and, and crossing uh, the T's and dotting the I's that actually is very earthly. It has nothing to do with spiritual things. It is a part of uh, human ingenuity. It is a part of human effort to want to prove uh, that you belong, to prove that you are uh, accepted to show off what you have done and compare and contrast yourself to other people. So if there was a, a big idea that lifts itself off of the pages of our passage this morning, 
it would be that religion is worldly. Religion is worldly. Uh, This morning, I want to give us kind of a table of contents for where we're going to go. The first thing we're going to look at is what what in the world is worldliness or what 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 does the Apostle Paul mean by the world? Uh, And then secondly, we're going to look at our union with Christ and the things that distinguish uh, Christianity from every other approach to God. And last, we're going to look at the uselessness of religion, uselessness of religion. I want to preach from the subject. Religion is worldly. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather together to worship you, to sing to you, to give back even in response to your generosity towards us. And now I pray as we open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So what exactly is going on in the Colossian church that the Apostle Paul would say that religion is worldly? Pastor Derek, over the past several weeks, has been sharing with us this false teaching that has come into the church at Colossae. Uh, and they have been referencing all of these Old Testament things that uh, Old Testament followers of God did uh, and, and, and saying that here are the things that you have to do in order to experience true spirituality. And it's this kind of mashup thing. They've got some new age stuff. They've got Old Testament law. Uh, and then they've got this worship, worshiping of angels thing. And, uh, and they're being uh, harsh on their bodies in order to experience some kind of hallucination. Uh, and, and that is the, the level of, man, if you really want to be spiritually mature, these are the things that you need to do. Uh, and so the Apostle Paul says in, in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Why, why are you saying to yourself, don't, don't do that, don't handle that, don't, don't, don't taste that, don't touch that? referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. Paul says, if you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, uh, in ancient times, there was this idea that people ascribed to that there were spirits in the world that had particular powers. Now, they weren't over God, they were under God, uh, but there were still things that you had to do in order to appease the spirit so that it would go well with you in Uh, in the world. And so the apostle Paul says, if with Christ you died to those elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And we're going to get to this idea of Jesus's dying and us identifying with Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection and what that means. And sometimes I think we hear those kinds of words and think of like highfalutin spiritual platitudes, uh, but it actually has a very specific meaning that we're going to get to. Uh, and, And yet, why does Paul say that these particular things of don't taste, don't touch, uh, don't handle, uh, why are those things worldly or what does it mean? Uh, what does he mean by world or worldly? 
if you were to look at the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 through 17, and really quickly, we're just going to look at some different forms of what many people consider worldly and where they get the idea of what it means to be worldly. Now, hang in there with me. I know somebody, you came, and uh, the only reason why you're here is because somebody promised you brunch afterward. Hang in there with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. But 1 John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The lust of the flesh, the pride of, of life. In Galatians, and Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians itself really mirrors these past two passages that we've looked at in Colossians. Uh, but if you were to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, uh, here's what the Apostle Paul, speaking on this again, speaks of when it comes to the world and the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. We don't deal with that much, but it, I, I bet it goes, uh, happens in some places. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you have this idea of giving yourself over to your own desires and this idea of, uh, of what philosophers call hedonism. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, the Apostle Paul, speaking on this again, says, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh. Now, if you grew up in a specific faith tradition, right, then you know your, your grandma or your grandma and them and your grandma's friends said, baby, stop listening to that worldly music. Nisi, or Brianna, Nisi never, never did that to you, did she? Grandma never did that to you. Uh, stop, stop, stop doing all that worldly dancing. That's worldly dancing. What? You got a part on the side of your head? That's a worldly haircut. Right? Why are you wearing that? You, you came to church. Why are you wearing that worldly clo them worldly clothes? And, and I guess the, the, the point that, I, that I'm trying to make is that, uh, and, and even Pastor Derek and I, we, we, we kind of uh, joke about this, but like when we were, uh, we did seminary in, down in the South, uh, down in the South, Grace, and, uh, and they, they would have this, this joke around the seminary because we, we, we'd say stuff like, don't, don't drink or chew or date girls who do. That, that was what it meant to be a Christian. Don't drink or chew or date girls who do, right? And we sort of joked that that was like all of our like Southern Baptist legalists were like, that's, that's their MO. That's how to live Christianity. No shade, no shade. Anyways. And so our concept of worldly things or worldliness always has to do with this idea of giving yourself over to your own pleasures. And yet what the apostle Paul is saying is worldliness in Colossians chapter two is religion. 
You see, because they are two sides of the same coin. And here's the issue. Legalism, performance to gain acceptance for you and me is what water is to a fish. It is the air that you breathe. And you may have come in today and said, Steve, I'm, Pastor Steve, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not religious even. How, how, can I, how can I be a legalist? And I, and I would say to you uh, that, that worship is something that all of us do. It, it's just simply the concept of whatever we build our lives upon is the thing that we worship. Whatever you trust in to find lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace is the thing that you worship. And regardless of whether or not you're trying to keep the rules as you see them in the Bible or you create your own set of rules, you have a code that you live by. And we talked, we talked about this last week, and we talked about how we can live by the law of self-reliance. Uh, we we uh, we can live by the law of I, I don't need to I don't need to go to the doctor I I can do all the things I I can uh, I can uh, be a great mom and and I can uh, do my own vocation and have my own profession and and I can keep the house clean and 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 my wife will tell you Steve's talking about me no shade. But what happens is over the course of time. What you realize that you believe is really the law of self-reliance. You don't believe in grace for yourself, even though none of those things are in the Bible. You create those things for yourself. You see, legalism is, is not something that's out there and over there. We just don't like certain people's legalism. But we got our own version. We got our own laws that we, we, we put in place and, and our own way to compare and contrast ourselves to other people. And so legalism for us is what water is to a fish. It is the air that we breathe. It, it is, uh, it is, and you've heard me say this, it is, uh, it is I, I've always experienced merit-based scholarships. It, that's all I've ever experienced. I, I did the work, I did what I needed to do, and I got a merit-based scholarship. I, I did the work, I got on the team, I played based on my performance. I did good at, at my job, CJ, and I got a promotion, and it was all based on my performance, Right? And so even then, when it comes to our faith and the way that we approach God, because this sort of perform to gain approval is the air that we breathe, that's the way that we approach God. So we say grace is grace. We understand it here. But we don't understand it here. And so here's the thing. The Apostle Paul says uh, and, and, and this is this is what I, I want uh, I, I want all of us to see. There is a side of this, that legal spirit that I just articulated that we all have. There is a side of that that says I can do this on my own. There, there, there is a side of that that says, I don't want Christ's heart for me. There's a side of that that is inherently 
completely rebellion against God. And, and, and we talked about sometimes when we, when we talk about, uh, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about missing the mark, right? Missing the mark. You miss the mark. And, and uh, the etymology, uh, in the Bible of that word does mean like this idea of a bow and arrow and a target, right? Um, and, and, and yet what, what is communicated, what, what it really means is, is not that, you know, there was a bullseye and you, Pastor Derek, and you hit the, the right side of the board, it means the arrow never left the bow. It means, it means not only did the arrow never leave the bow, it means that you couldn't even shoot the bow. You needed somebody else to pick up the arrow and the bow and shoot it for you. And the legal spirit that you have refuses to accept Christ's heart for you and God's grace on your life because there's some part of you that says, I can do it. And Paul says in Galatians 3.1, you foolish Galatians, having begun by the spirit, are you now attempting to be perfected by the flesh? And, and here's the thing, because we often believe that we just needed a nudge to the left. Man, we, we shot the bow, but if, if I, I got Jesus in my life now, and so he's going to give me the nudge into the bullseye. He's, he's going to give me that little push over to the left. You misunderstand the holiness of God and the reality of your situation. You don't need a nudge. You need a mountain to move. You don't need a nudge. You need the sea to split. You don't need a nudge. You need the laws of nature to change. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said it this way. He said, uh, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Harder than it is uh, than for uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Right? Little, for my, my seamstresses in, in the room, you, you know what a needle is? The eye of a needle. A camel is a huge animal. In other words, it's an impossibility. And Jesus responds, and, and, and they say, well, if he can't be saved, then who can? He says, with man, is it, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What is his point? You need a miracle. You don't need a nudge. You need a mountain to move. And here's the good news of the gospel. He says, if you have the faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will obey you. Because it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. And yet we carry, we carry with us this, this legal spirit. And, and what I want you to see is the very fact that you operate in a space that says, I just need a nudge, is inherently rebellion against God, is inherently offensive to God. And so the Apostle Paul goes on in verse 23, and he says, uh, he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. 
And so in, in the Colossian church, these false teachers had come along and, uh, and so they were doing things like uh, fasting in such a way that they, they would treat their bodies so severely by not eating food that maybe they would hallucinate or, uh, or they would do different things like, like penance in order to, uh, to, to hurt their, themselves in order to like show that they're like really devoted, right? Um, and, and so that's, that's what it means by asceticism. It, it literally means this severity to the body. Uh, and, and they have the appearance of wisdom because they make you look devoted. They have the appearance of devotion, but they're really for yourself. It's a devotion that's for you. And this is where I got to tell you that legalism can be much more dangerous than any form of hedonism. Any form of giving over, giving yourself over to your own passions. And somebody today, you may have said to yourself, you know, if you were to, if you were to, uh, if you were to have me give my testimony, if I was to share how I came to faith in Jesus, I, and, and your words would be, I really don't have a testimony. As long for as long as as long as I can remember, and and this is a number of our stories. As long as I can remember. I've had faith in Jesus, right? And here's the thing. The story about, of the prodigal son, it ain't about the prodigal son. Luke 15, this son asked his father for, an inher- for his inheritance early, which was completely crazy at the time. The Bible says he goes and he lives his life in riotous living. He gave himself over to all his passions. And then when he comes home and and he's embraced, he realizes I'm jacked up. I got some problems. I don't got problems. I got problems. And he comes back to the father and he throws the the father rushes out to him and throws a party for the son for the son of mine was lost. But now he's found. And the older brother refuses to come in because he had done all the right steps, dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. But you never threw a party for me. And the father says, you were always with me. And the point is, is that you can be in the vicinity of the father and the father not ever have your heart. Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders of the day. His point was that you're the older brother. And it's hidden. That's why legalism can be dangerous. So for those of us who say, I don't have a testimony, here's your test. Let me testify for you. My testimony is that God saved me from me. My testimony is that God saved me from being my own self-salvation strategy. And it scared the heck out of me because it was hidden. And so the Apostle Paul goes on uh, and, and, and somebody might be asking the question, Steve, why, why is all of that stuff important? Why, why does that matter? Um, and, 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 and we talked about this idea of, of worship last week and, and this idea of legalism. And, and we talked about it being the air that we, we breathe. Uh, and, 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 and so we have this idea that uh, after we become followers of Jesus, we got to just move on to like doing stuff for God. And then we'll kind of do this up into the right trajectory in our, in our lives. And we approach, uh, we, we approach sanctification, this journey with God and growing more and more in the image of Jesus as, as a, like a business graph where the more time goes on, we go up, 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 up. 
um, and then we, we hide and pretend and perform and act like that stuff didn't really happen and uh, that we fail at stuff. And then all of a sudden, we're Galatians 3.1, you foolish Galatians, right? I ain't telling you what I heard. I tell, I'm telling you what I know. And so Paul says, what, what, if it wasn't just a nudge, then what did we need? Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? What the Apostle Paul is communicating is that because we didn't just need a nudge, but we needed a mountain to move, God has moved the mountain by, being, by, by giving us the person and work of Jesus. So that by faith, when we place our faith in Jesus, we get united to him, he is in us, and we are in him. It's not we get grace to begin with and then we figure it out on our own. It's we're united to Jesus. God the Father sees us the way he sees his son. And so he says, if with Christ you died, and we're going to talk about this next week when we baptize people. You're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. What does that mean? It means by faith you've been united with Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. The way the Father sees you is through his son. And that's the only way you could come into the presence of God. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I I have been crucified. I'm, I'm united with him in his death. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He goes on in Philippians chapter three, after the apostle Paul articulates all the stuff that he had reason to boast about, all the, the, the Jewishness that he had in in his life and all the things in devotion that he had to God. And he says, uh, in Philippians chapter three, verses eight and nine, more than that, I count all things as lost compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. My good works, rubbish. My devotion, rubbish. Why? What I really want is that I may gain Christ. And here it is. Be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from my ability to perform the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. All of my performance, all of my good works cannot stand before a holy and a perfect God. What I need is a miracle. And that miracle has been provided so that through faith in Jesus, the grace that God provided, I'm in him and he is in me. Paul says this this way in, in verse three of Colossians three, and I'll leave this for Derek and Easter, but for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. All these passages are communicating one central theme. You didn't need a nudge. You needed to be united to Jesus. That's the only way this thing works. All of it is communicating union with Christ. Jacqueline Kwan, who uh, writes on uh, science and current events, she's a master's degree, I believe, in physiology, um, but she, she's a journalist, and she wrote this about what it would be like for uh, an astronaut to be in space without their spacesuit. Imagine you're an astronaut, she says, exploring the vast expanse of space, and uh-oh, you're accidentally thrown out of your spacecraft's airlock. What would happen to your body if it were exposed to the vacuum of space if you weren't wearing a spacesuit? An astronaut floating with a suit in space wouldn't survive. 
and would be a gnarly exit with boiling bodily fluids and a nearly frozen nose and mouth. This, this paints a, a, a sort of a small picture of what it would be like for you and I to stand in the presence of God with all our laws. If you ain't got the suit, you're going to disintegrate. It's actually ridiculous that you thought that you could approach it this way. You need to be in the suit of Christ. That only happens by faith in the person and work of Jesus on your behalf. To approach God any other way is entirely and completely foolish. And yet I want to tell you that that is exactly what we try to do over and over and over and over again. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebel against God, and, uh, and now they recognize that they're naked and ashamed, right? The Bible says that they're naked and ashamed, and now they begin to try to cover themselves with fig leaves, right? Um, and, and God goes looking for Adam, and uh, he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam uh, responds and, and, and says that we noticed that we were naked, and, and now we've, we've covered ourselves, And then in in response to Adam trying to cover himself and the shame that he experiences, this is what the Bible says after rebellion and sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And the words will come up on the screen. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It's a foretelling of what would need to happen for you and I to come into the presence of God. It is to be clothed with Christ's righteousness and not our own. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he begins to talk about how to live the spiritual life and, and what spiritual living looks like. And he talks about fasting and prayer. And, uh, and he says, uh, don't fast as the hypocrites do, right? Don't, don't do that as the hypocrites do. And, and really, in our modern time period, we think of a hypocrite as, as somebody who's, uh, who doesn't do what they say that they believe. And yet, in Jesus' time, it, it meant sort of like the idea of an actor, or an actress in a theater. It, it, it carries with it the idea of, of a theater actor. And in ancient times, uh, what a theater actor would do is they would play multiple roles in the same play. So they would come out and they would put one mask on and then they go back to the back and then they put another mask on and play a different role. And they do that throughout the play, right? And, and so in essence, what Jesus is saying is stop putting on the masks. And here's the good news of the gospel. When you put on Jesus, you no longer have to put the mask on for your colleagues. You no longer have to put the mask on for your spouse. You no longer have to put the mask on for your parents. You see, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, that's what we've been doing. We've been covering ourselves with masks. 
And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when you place your faith in Jesus, Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus. And now you just get to be who he created you to be. Let go of the mask. And here's the thing. As long as you have that legal spirit in you, you're going to be trying to pick up masks. All the while, there's a fountain filled with water for the thirsty that you refuse to come to. Because some part of your heart wants to be able to say, I did it. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? And here's the thing, when it comes to this idea of faith in Jesus and union with Christ and grace through faith and all, it's like, man, I, 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 I get that, Pastor Steve. I, I've known that since I was three years old. I love what Rankin Wilburn says about this. In the words that come up on the screen, it says, he says, perhaps one of the greatest barriers to faith is not the things we don't know, but the things we think we know yet we're wrong about. I've been believing grace through faith since I was four years old. I was 30 before I really understood it. Perhaps the greatest barrier are the things that we think we know, but we're wrong about. But Steve, why does my box checking, uh, why, 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 does, why does my ability to do the right things and, and dot the I's and cross the T's, why doesn't have the power to do anything? Do not handle, do not taste, do not, uh, do not touch, uh, as the scripture says. Why do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. Why, why doesn't it have power? Verse 23, they make sense. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let me, let me back up and let this not be so heavy. Do not handle, do not taste. So there is this idea that there are certain foods that we don't eat and there are certain foods that, that we do eat. There are certain things that we do do. There are certain foods that we don't do. And I'm not saying that this is, this is a part of the Colossian church. I'm not saying this is you, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying you might want to evaluate, evaluate your heart. I'm not, I'm not saying that you approach God in this way, but I'm just saying that you might want to look at it a little bit deeper, right? Right? Is it, you know, when I'm going to be a vegetarian, do not taste. And that's what, after I get this vegetarian lifestyle together, I'm going to arrive. Ain't, that ain't even far enough. I'm gonna, veganism is what I ascribe to. Once I get the vegan thing down, then I'm, I'm really going to arrive at, the, at this healthy lifestyle. And there's an arrival point of like, oh, yeah, I got it. I got it together. I'm trying to get into ketosis, Pastor Derek. I'm eating all the fat I can have. Right? 
And I'm not saying that there's something in us that says that there's an arrival point on the other side of this, but I'm just saying that our hearts are incredibly tricky because we will take some stuff and try to make it into something. And, and so, uh, you know, Daniel fasts until you hallucinate. Fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nothing else. Keto is going to get us there. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have, uh, are of no value in stopping the indulgence of, of the flesh. All of these religious practices, they make sense. They're, they're logical in, in our minds, but they won't help you do what you want them to do because they are con. When I became a follower of Jesus, um, I, I was 18, 19 years old. I told some of you, like, the story of, of coming to faith last week. Uh, Pastor Derek invited me to a Christian conference, and I became a follower of Jesus. And I, like, made a vow, made a vow that I would be abstinent until I got married. Um, I was going to, I was going to, you know, I, 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 I messed up, and I hadn't lived uh, up to God's standard before I became a Christian, which is crazy because you don't even have the power to live up to God's standard before coming to faith in Christ. But anyways. And so I said, I'm going to abstain until I get married. And so here's the thing, 18, 19 years old, I made it to like 32, right? So do the math. I'm terrible at math, Tony. What's the math? Is that 15 years? 14 years. I didn't, you see, I didn't do statistics in college. Uh, anyways, 14 years. And it, here's the thing. You say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then you get married and you say, enjoy, enjoy. And some of you, maybe you grew up in the 1990s uh, youth group purity movement and you had your purity ring. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so you, you were like, man, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm remaining celibate until I get married and this, that, and the other. And, uh, and so he said, don't do it, 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 don't do it. You get married, enjoy. And if you've been a pastor for long enough, you know that if that's the approach that people had, to what it meant to experience intimacy with God and intimacy with a spouse, then you realize on the, other side of it, on, on the other side of it, the idea of intimacy brings shame. The idea of intimacy feels dirty. It feels, uh, intimacy within the covenant of, of marriage feels, uh, feels bad and you're fear, filled with fear and anxiety about the idea of intimacy within your marriage. And I praise God for 13 years, 13 years. And then I have to ask myself the question, when you get on the other side of 13 years or you get on the other side of whatever, and maybe for you, somebody did something to you that you didn't ask to be done to you, and so you can't keep the rule and you feel shame for that. But here's the thing that I had to realize. Sometimes we want to just keep the rule to say that we kept the rule. And you realize after 13 years of keeping the rule, it never was about honoring God with my body. 
It never was about experiencing the fullness of something that God created, right? And said, this is how you ought to do it in order to be a reflection of of your union with me. And and, and then you experience union with with, with a spouse as a reflection of what you received through faith in Jesus and, 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 and the thing that I created for you to enjoy. I'm the one that made this. And now you can't enjoy it? It may be because you were keeping the rule to keep the rule to be able to say you had something to do with this. Maybe you have uh, an issue. Do not uh, do not taste. Do not do not touch. Maybe you have uh, 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 an issue uh, that has to do with a sin issue that you keep finding yourself. I, I'm, fail, I'm failing in this. I can't get over this. I can't, I can't get on the other side of this. I, I put all the things in place, right? I've got my accountability group. I, I've got community around me. I, I've got uh, all these different things that, that I've got my, my defense plan for how I'm never going to do that thing ever again. I went 35 days and I'm in the clear. And then you find yourself, man, I failed again. I, I keep going back to these old cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water, why? And you may think that when you, and some of y'all have talked to me and, and, and you know that what, what I've told you, you know uh, what I would say. And you might think that Pastor Steve is gonna say, well, just try harder, like just work harder at it, like pray more, like do more. Like you, you've gotta be more diligent and there's space for diligence, there's space for effort, there's space for all of those things. But the issue may not be the issue that you think it is. Because perhaps the bigger issue that you're trying to do with this one sin issue that you have is you're trying to pull the weed without getting the root. And all you're getting is leaves. And the root issue that you have is you won't let grace be grace. And your legal spirit, somewhere deep down in your heart, says, I've got something to do with this. How does the power of sin get broken in my life? It's by allowing the gospel to be the gospel. perhaps your do not taste, do not touch is really just worldly. Let's go home on this one as the band comes. Dane Ortland wrote a book this, I think this past year or the year before that just really captured something that I think is really important that all of us experience. He says this, he says, as the gospel sinks in more deeply over time and we made, and we wade ever deeper into the heart of Christ, one of the first outer shells of our old life that the gospel pierces is the doing of works under approval. But there is another deeper level an instinct level of a fish in water level that must be deconstructed and shed too. 
We can go through the whole day trumpeting the futility of doing works to please God and all the while saying the right thing from an of works heart. And our natural of worksness reflects not only a resistance to the doctrine of justification by faith, but also even more deeply a resistance to Christ's very heart. You won't let grace be grace. That's all of our foundational issue. We won't receive love if it's not something that we did on the other side to receive it. And really that's the Christian journey is to become more and more aware of how lavished with grace you are without having to perform to receive it. And the more and more of understanding that grace and the lavishness of that grace, the only proper response to it is, I'm blown away. Now out of delight, God, I obey you in all things for your glory and our good. Religion is worldly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there, there are so many things that seem so natural to us. And yet the gospel is this supernatural thing. It is, it is this mountain moving thing. It is this, this I didn't get a nudge. I, the, he, he came and he took the bow and arrow and he shot it for me. That, that's the gospel. Jesus lived a life that I could not live. And, and, and we say that over and over and over again. And if we've been followers of Jesus for a long time, that's, we, we know that. And yet we don't know that. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach our hearts how to not allow the legal spirit to reject your heart towards us. I pray that we would recognize the laws that we create for ourselves, the legalism that we create for ourselves, and embrace what it means to be in Christ, in Christ in us. Allow us to count them all as rubbish that we might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that is of our own, but a righteousness that comes by faith. Bless you, God. It's in your name I pray. Amen.